0: One of the promises I made when I was ordained as a priest is that I would uh, instruct, called uh, if I will instruct people committed to my care from the Scriptures and teach nothing as requ- required of necessity to eternal salvation except that I am convinced may be proved by Scripture. And not the easiest... Uh, uh, use of English there. It basically means that I will teach from the Bible and say nothing about salvation that is not in the Bible. Uh, I made other promises at uh, the same time, but for better or worse, I put most of my effort into teaching Jesus from the Bible. Uh, more than that, more than anything else, I've done this not only uh, in our Sunday services. Um, where we've looked at a range of books from Genesis, Judges, Isaiah, Ecclesiastes, Ruth, Daniel and Micah in the Old Testament, and large parts of the Gospels, and the books of Ephesians and James from the New Testament. I've also led two regular Bible studies and attended a third. And I've led morning prayer for nearly five years. And there we've read and talked through All 27 books of the New Testament, all 150 psalms, and the books of Job, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, Isaiah, and most of the book of Deuteronomy. There's still a fair bit to go. My aim has been to build your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, and also to build your love for God and your neighbour. Uh, with a biblical focus upon salvation and social justice. Uh, I've tried to teach how to work with the Bible, including some of the difficult bits. We've looked at uh, ways to understand different types of writing, poetry, law, historical narrative, apocalyptic, gospels, letters and prophecy. In the next year or so, we're going to look at the books of Proverbs and the Gospel of Mark. I love all the Gospels, but Mark thrills me because it is the clearest presentation of what the kingdom of God will be like and how to get there. Uh, We will start that in a few weeks, but first we're going to look at the opening of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs sounds like a good book for us to look at. Uh, It is a book of wisdom, and who doesn't want to be wise? Uh, at least in theory. Um, Running marathons sounds fine, but requires uh, rather a lot of preparation and perhaps living a wise life is the same. I need to warn you that Proverbs is a weird book. It is not obvious how it fits into the Bible. It is in the Old Testament and therefore part of the Jewish scripture. It also comes uh, before uh, sorry, after the Book of Psalms and before a couple of other books of wisdom, Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs, and before the Major and Minor Prophets. <laughs> the problem is it just doesn't seem to fit into the history of God's people. There's a reference to Solomon, but hardly any other reference to any person in the Bible. Uh, there's no reference to Adam and Eve or Abraham and the uh, uh, patriarchs uh, or the kings of Israel and Judah. Uh, there's nothing uh, about anything that takes us through to Jesus. There's no mention of most of the characters in the Old Testament or the story of Israel or, or the rest of the Bible. It's just there. And as part of God's word, we have to work out what to do with it. One thing we're not going to do uh, is work through it line by line. Uh, That's beyond me, and I suspect beyond most of you. Uh, What we're going to do is dip into it over the next year or so, as preachers feel inclined to explore some of the areas of wisdom that it covers. Today I want to make some introductory comments and set the scene. And then look at the first example of the type of wisdom we get in this book. The book opens with this description. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Reasonably familiar characters. A lot of scholarship has gone into how reliable this statement is. Some have argued it was convenient to ascribe the book to King Solomon because he had a Reputation for wisdom, at least in the early parts of his reign, which was from 970 to 931 BC. But it seems more likely that Solomon was the author of some of the proverbs and collected and collated many of the others. Uh, I'm not going to try and define what a proverb is uh, in you know sort of a complete way because it will be better for us to see some proverbs and see how they work and then try and work out what it's all about. I don't want to limit the scope of God's revelation that we find in the book of Proverbs because it is far more than a collection of wise sayings. But it's fair to say that the Proverbs are usually generalisations, short general statements that usually apply, usually are right. Uh, For example, Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. I suspect the second half is almost always right. Whoever hates correction is stupid. But there may be some who love discipline, who who love following rules without thinking about them. Uh, and I don't think that they necessarily love knowledge. Proverbs are not laws. They don't always apply in all circumstances. They need to be read in the context of the rest of the book of them, uh, and of the Bible. And they require thought and prayer and discussion. Care needs to be taken. Take Proverbs thirteen twenty four. Uh, This is another example, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but whoever loves their children is careful to discipline them. Is our Lord really commending corporal punishment, hitting our children, making our loved ones live in fear, domestic family violence, making our loved ones live in fear? Who would would go along with this? Don't we just rip it out of our Bibles? Some would say that this has to be read subject to the culture of 10th century BC Israel, where corporal and capital punishment were far more common and accepted, and we live in a different time and different culture where physical punishment of children is illegal and seen as terrible in a number of ways. But I think it would be better to consider how the proverb works. To start off with, it doesn't say that we should hit our children. The the, the active part of it is whoever loves their children is careful to discipline, and it doesn't specify the form of discipline. But more than that, the point is not that parents should take up a rod, but try to, bash their, uh, uh, and ba- try to bash their children into shape, but the children need to know what is right and wrong. Children need boundaries, and they need to be encouraged to stay within those boundaries. Few would disagree with that today. But more than that, when we think of the concern Jesus had for children and Jesus' use of the yoke as a metaphor for his teaching, we should see that the rod is a metaphor for behaviour that provides effective discipline. And inflicting pain and damaging and alienating children doesn't. But as I say, care needs to be taken. Because if you just recoil in horror at this proverb, you may switch off and miss the point of the proverb, and our children will suffer. The writer of the book of Proverbs says that these proverbs are a way for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight and receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair. So this is more than just knowing stuff, it's doing stuff. And for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Uh, One of the things we're going to have to do as we look through this series is to consider what uh, wisdom is, what it really means. It includes knowledge, as we see in verse 4, but it's not just rules for a good or useful life in a general sense. It is dominated by these words that end the introduction and set up the rest of the book. The fear... Oops, where... One more. No. Uh, uh. Oh, there No. go. Okay, I think I might just leave it there. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The whole book is anchored in this. Uh, it's repeated nine times in various ways in the rest of the book. Of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The wisdom is from God. Wisdom starts with knowing who God is. And the simplest meaning for wisdom is living well before God. It's always seeking to know what God wants and doing what is right by Him. Not just in the big things, but also in the little things. The opening phrase is wisdom and discipline. It includes knowing what is right and the self-control to do it, to recognise something as temptation to do wrong and to be disciplined enough to resist that temptation. Uh, Ironically, it's one of the aphorisms of Oscar Wilde that captures this. He said, I can resist anything but temptation. It's wonderfully witty. But it catches the difficulty of resisting temptation. The temptation to be selfish or to hurt or to be self righteous. And how is wisdom learned? How can we acquire wisdom, discipline, prudence, understanding, and discretion? It's not beyond us. And here we're being told there is a way to do it. And that way is by listening. It says that the most important organ for a Christian is the ear. We may think of the brain and the heart, but neither stands a chance without first listening to God and his word. The focus on listening makes clear that the Proverbs were intended to be read aloud for oral instruction. Uh, We're shaped by listening to God which is why God intends us to gather around his word and read it to each other. The initial focus, as you've seen, is on teaching the young, but it's generally been taken that the wisdom on offer here is there for anyone who doesn't have it, young or old. The great evangelist Billy Graham, who lived through to something like 90 or so, and knew God and the Bible better than most, He used to read the book of Proverbs every day. He opened the book of Proverbs every day, decade after decade after decade, because he was wise enough to know that he could always learn from God through it, that something that he'd read 20, 30, 40 years ago would mean something new and helpful to him today if he listened to God. There are, of course, a number of ways to learn. We learn by watching others and by trial and error. But the wisdom on offer here is acquired by listening and reflection and perseverance. It might be reinforced by the examples of others or by our own failings, but we start by listening. There are, of course, many obstacles to listening well. Well, Uh, We all have distractions. Is it too hot or cold? What's for lunch? Is the water pipe going to burst again? How long is this sermon going to go? If you're already thinking that, you know, you could be distracted. Another challenge is familiarity. Oh, I know this passage. Oh, I know where Mark will go with this. Just switch off. I've got the stained glass windows.
1: We also bring
0: preconceived ideas to the table and, and doubt. Is the Old Testament really relevant to us today? Doesn't sound like it. I think I'll switch off. Or, if Solomon was so wise, why did he have 700 wives and 300 concubines when God so clearly commends monogamy? And why did Solomon's kingdom fall apart around him if he was so wise? I think that's a wonderful little track to wander down rather than to listen to what's being said here. Perhaps the worst assumption that we can make is that we've worked life out. And we don't need to learn anything. We don't need correction. Because we're okay. We've got things sorted. As I said, the idea that governs the opening of this book is found in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise that uh, wisdom and instruction. We find this expression in in Psalm 111 and Isaiah 33 and, as I said, in a number of other places in this book. The idea underpins the whole of the Bible, from Genesis 1 right the way through to Revelation. So what does it mean? The best translation for fear here is reverence, deep respect. Not fear that paralyzes action, but reverence and respect that leads to love and respect and obedience. It is based on trust rather than coerced action. It isn't the result of having a lot of knowledge of God. It's the beginning, the place that we start. To know God and his ways requires for us to start by recognising God for who he is and who we are. We're not his equals. He is judge, we are not. He is creator, we are his creation. This is his world, not ours. We are to be like him, not to try to make him like us. We are to listen when he speaks. But delightfully, we know he will listen to us when we speak to him in fear and respect. Notice that God makes it clear that there are fools We're not to go around calling each other fools or calling others fools. But God's wisdom requires us to recognise that there are some people who don't want God's wisdom and discipline. And God counts these people as fools. The Hebrew word for fool has a moral dimension to it. It's not just foolish in an ignorant or offhand way but morally deficient. This is not what modern Australia wants to hear, but it is what God says. And that is challenging, isn't it? Rejecting God is sin. Even if it's counterproductive to use that word with family and friends who reject God, that there are better ways of connecting people who aren't interested in God than calling them sinners or fools. But nevertheless, that is what God says. And we start with reverence to God and by listening, because this will shape who we are and then shape what we do. Frank Sinatra got it wrong, or at least he got it the wrong way round in his famous song, Strangers in the Night. It is not doobie dooby doo. It is be do. Be do. Be do. Be fearful of God. Work out what he wants and then do it. Well, briefly, what did you make of the first proverb? The warning of a father to his son to not fall in with bad people and be enticed into wrongdoing. Do you think that it really doesn't apply to you? Uh, We have a few young sons here and their fathers, but how does it apply to women and to people of riper years? Uh, Some of you live in social housing, and there are definitely some bad characters there. Uh, I take some of their funerals. They're quite colourful. But there are selfish people and crooks everywhere. I was a partner in a large law firm, and uh, frankly, I wouldn't stand between some of my partners and a dollar. But... More than that, one of them got convicted for stealing money from his clients. Now, there are crooks everywhere, and we have to be careful of who we trust. You may like that the writer recognises the parallel role of mothers and fathers to teach, and that their teaching becomes like a garland of grace to adorn their son's neck, as if wisdom should be seen in the life of the sun. It's not a private thing, but something that should be obvious to all. Uh, this proverb is certainly very relevant to two of our ministries here, our Indigenous youth group deadly warriors and the trip camps that Colin takes Indigenous children on, because a primary purpose of both of these is to keep children out of games and still learning from their parents and elders. So this wisdom is for us and is applied in our ministries and facilitated by your generous giving. But beyond that, I think there is something in this for us all. A number of the Proverbs are clearly intended as advice for fathers uh, and for the advice that they should give their sons, but many have general application. And here we can see that we can all be subject to peer group pressure male or female, young or old. We can all want to fall in with the crowd. We may not be enticed to commit murder or theft, but we can be tempted to sometimes ignore God, or to taint someone's good name through gossip, or to take away the peace or enjoyment of things that are valuable to them. I think it's hard to be a Christian without caring for social justice, There is too much war, exploitation, inequality and injustice to be passionately involved in every cause. Yet we should resist the temptation of people who say we must first care for ourselves, if that means we never care for anyone else. We must hear the news, so that we can understand the needs of others and help where we can Bring the needs of others to God in prayer. We can't just cut ourselves off with part of the world. Or we may be enticed to share the sense that we belong by doing things we know aren't quite right, or actually know are wrong. I'm always struggling to see good in all Christians, particularly if they are have they have political or theological views with which I disagree. Christians have been forming gangs of inclusion and exclusion for 2,000 years, and we must be wary of that. But have you seen what I've done with this proverb? I've thought, what is the underlying idea here? And if I'm truthful with God and myself, does this apply to me, and How? Yes, the immediate context does not apply to me, I do not have a son, and murder and theft are not on my agenda, but I am tempted in a number of ways to keep my head down and to go along with the crowd, perhaps to seek an easy life achieved by avoiding sacrifices I should make or avoiding fights I should fight at the expense of living as God would have me live. And as we work through some sub- uh, Proverbs, it will help us to keep two questions in mind. They apply with every book in the Bible, but I think that they will really help us with the book of Proverbs. Uh, obviously, we've got to consider what the proverb means for us and, and, and for others. But the two questions that I think it would be good for us to, to keep in our minds is that what does this say about God, And what does it say about me? Here we can answer the first question by saying that God, the God we meet here is a God who expects our respect, who wants us to take him and his word seriously, and is the God from whom knowledge and wisdom and all good things will flow. And God expects us to choose our friends carefully so we will not be led into temptation. And as for what we learn about ourselves, we see we have been made for reverence and discipline. But that's part of who we are. If, if we don't do reverence and discipline, then we're actually going against the way that God has made us. And, and we're to seek what is right and to avoid sins. And we'll find out far more about God and ourselves as we work through this book. But now let's stand. And sing a hymn that reminds us that whatever challenges we face, we are safe with God. Please stand.